good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please do turn tonight once more in the Word of God to Nehemiah chapter 8. And let's read together again from the verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema, Aniah, and Urijah, and Elkiah, and Masiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah, and Mishael, and Melchiah, and Hashum, and Hashpadana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Amen. We'll end there. The reading, we'll consider some of the later verses, perhaps, uh, as we make our way through the message tonight. Uh, Last time we were in Nehemiah chapter 8, we did note this time of the people gathering together was an occasion of great blessing. A time of the presence of the Lord as the word of God is opened. There was an eagerness, a desire for people to hear the word of God. That was their hearts. They wanted to know what will the Lord say to us today. And they gathered together in the sense of enjoying corporate, biblical, joyful worship. We long for this sense of gladness and joy when the word of God is opened and when there are signs following the preaching of the word. And so last time we uh, thought about some of the initial matters regarding the, the people and their preparation. They came in eagerness. They gather and they ask. They want the word. And again, it must always be our heart that we have this Desire as newborn babes for the sincere milk of the word. We want this breaking of soul that the psalmist says. A longing for God's judgments at all times. And thus they come in eagerness in the context of worship. And God is pleased to bless us as we meet to honor his name. It goes without saying as we gather together to to honor God. He is pleased to honor those who honor him. And so the people, they come in preparation for blessing. So let's begin then tonight with the idea of the the preachers. Let's consider the preachers and the blessing of God. In verse number four, you have again a a list of men who are are mentioned alongside Ezra the scribe. Again, in verse number seven, there are uh, some others mentioned. 
who are involved in communicating the word of God. It seems likely that Ezra was the, the chief scribe and there were these others who were helpers who, if you like, maybe perhaps took turns. Perhaps dealing with the people in groups, a large gathering, and uh, rather than one man exhausting himself, perhaps there was a division of the people into to various groups. And again, these other men were involved in teaching the groups. It's hard to be absolutely certain. But there are some things that we do see regarding the matter of the preachers and the blessing that was enjoyed. First of all, the preacher was visible. Verse number four. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. You've got in verse number five a reference that Ezra was above all the people. The word pulpit there has the sense of a tar. A tar upon which Ezra stood above the people and thereby opened up the book of the law. And some suggest this marks Ezra out as in a position of authority over the people in sense of that, uh, that matter of authority. But of course, in the word of God, authority comes from the word itself more than from the position that the speaker holds. I think of the Lord Jesus. He sat to teach at times and yet still had authority distinct from that of the Pharisees. So I think we shouldn't read too much into the matter of standing above the people as if the preacher standing above therefore has authority just simply because of, of his standing in relation to the people sitting. I don't think we should read too much into that. Perhaps it is simply a matter of being visible and audible. The preacher ought to give himself as he preaches. Preaching is not simply an audible experience. It is something that people should witness and see. It should never be a, a show. But the people of God, they should have their eyes upon the preacher and the preacher should preach in a way that their earnestness is visible to see. It's not, it's not a theatrical experience. But if a man of God is anointed with the Spirit of God, then the people of God will witness something in that man in the very act of preaching. And so there is a visibility. Again, I, I, I think it's important when the people of God can, can see the preacher. But more than that, when you can see the preacher, then it ought to be easier to hear the preacher. And I think there was, again, a practical aspect here. A large company gather, and so you elevate the preacher above the people, whereby the, the first few rows can only hear, but the, the entire company can hear. I heard the story of, of Lincoln in his famous Gettysburg Address. Uh, and the nature of the people and the platform, only the first few rows heard that famous speech. And so the sense which Ezra is elevated above the, above the people, that there was a, an audible communication of the word of God. It is important that you hear what is said from the pulpit. Not just me, but whoever's preaching, you ought to be able to hear. The preacher's diction is important. I am trying to breathe more slowly and speak more slowly and, and more distinctly and have been for a number of years. And I, I preach, I'm still working in that matter because I actually believe it is important that you hear what is said. All of these things, they all come together. If you can't hear, then you can't understand, and then you will not respond. You see, all of this 
Ezra taking the pulpit, Ezra opening the book in the sight of all the people, all of this is again simply the practical outworking of a principle that we hold very dearly. And that is, it is God's chosen method to reveal his will through human instruments speaking words. That is how God has chosen to reveal his will. Human instrumentality, communicating the word with words. Words that can be understood. Words that can be clearly heard and appreciated. This is a very simple thing. But again, it is important in our modern age to reinforce this. I am not a mime artist. I'm not here to do some sort of dramatization of a a gospel truth. I'm here to speak to you in words. And therefore, it is expected that those words are audible and distinct enough to be understood. God speaks through his book and men communicating that book in a clear way. Which leads on to the second thing, and that is uh, the preachers, they were visible and they were able. Look at verse number eight. The, the preachers, they had, they had a degree of ability. It says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And this leads on from what I've already said, but it takes a little further. There are two marks of their ability. They read distinctly. The word of God should never be mumbled in a careless fashion. I think sometimes preachers, they they take more care regarding how they communicate in preaching than they do in the reading of the word. The the reading of the word itself should give sense and meaning. Again, you should be careful. This is God's word. God has spoken in this book. And therefore, when you come to read it, remember what you're reading. You're reading the very word of God. And therefore you read with distinction, you you read with care, you read with meaning, you you read with emphasis. All of those things are important and they had that ability. So the word of God is read fluently and proficiently. They also though give the sense, causing the people to understand uh, the task of the preacher. Look what it says, and gave the sense, verse 8, and caused them to understand the reading. The preacher's task is to read and then explain the word, even to the children. Again, we saw the same in the New Testament in the synagogue. Even in Luke chapter 4, when, when Christ, when he reads the words of Isaiah, and he's, he's given the book of the scroll, uh, and he then says to them, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That was just a summary of what he said. And then they say this, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. He read the scriptures, and it's very clear in Luke chapter 4 that having read the scriptures, he then explained them. He gave the sense, and the people wonder at the gracious words. I've got to apply this to myself again. After you prepare a, a message... Again, the preacher's task is to go through the message and to uh, discern, was it accurately explained? Before they get to the pulpit, uh, have I been careful to accurately understand and then explain the sense of the text? It applies to Sabbath school. 
It applies to children's work in the Bible club. It applies again to the family altar. You've got to make sure that those you're teaching, do they understand the sense of what you're saying? And so the preachers here, they are visible and they are able. Which then leads on to the people themselves and the blessing that, again, is seen in their responsiveness. We've already spoken of their eagerness in coming. But what about their attitude and their conduct during the preaching? Well, verse 1 again tells us that they gathered. I have a number of verbs here that I want to leave with you, and we'll, we'll finish with these verbs tonight. They gathered. Verse 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. We're told how they come collectively. They come in a united gathering. They come as, as one man. They all come including the children who can understand. Again, I wouldn't want from this to misimply and misinterpret this so that children who cannot understand are excluded from the public gatherings of the word. Again, I know every church will vary. And there are some who will, who will have a crash facility for those little ones who can understand. But whatever the, the method used, uh, again, we should not encourage or discourage, for, like, for example, parents with little children, and the parents themselves understand, and they come onto the Word, and the children are not a distraction or a bother. In that case, it's good to have children who do not themselves understand, but they're still present in the house of God. When the Word of God is being preached, uh, the people in this place, they come together irrespective of age. And they have a united heart for the word. Again, some people have used a portion like this as an argument against a youth meeting or against a Sabbath school even. I think there are many reasons why this is taking the matter too far. But one is that Paul instructs pastors Timothy and Titus to speak to people differently with respect to their age. To the young men, say this. To the older men say this, to the older women say this. And so I do believe even in the pastoral epistles, there are times and places where those responsible for teaching will bring a word in season for particular people at a particular time. I will say one thing. This passage is an argument against the practice of continually dividing up the people of God. And there are many modern churches where the entire company are never together. They come into one building, the young go one place, the children go somewhere else, the adults go somewhere else, and there's never this sense of families coming together around the word. And so the people of God, they, they come together. They come together to hear the word of God. Again, it's not a sense of, of the preachers going to one home, then the other home. There are these corporate gatherings where the people of God come together around the word, male and female and children also. So they gather. They also stand. You have that in the verse number five. All the people stood up. Again, it's hard to be certain exactly the significance of this standing. Perhaps again, it was to see clearly. But many, if not most, commentators feel this was a display of reverence. They stood to hear the word. In a sense that they were realizing they were doing something solemn. And there is always a danger that we are too casual when we come to hearing the word of God. 
We become very familiar with the exercise of, of sitting under preaching and we, we, we listen to the word of God being expounded and we, we become very casual. We are, we are very quick perhaps to treat it as something that is just familiar and common. When a man of God, whoever they may be, expound the scriptures, they are expounding the word of the living God. If God came as he did in the Old Testament with the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire and came in a special presence in our midst, our response would be different. If we went out to the, the, the parking lot and there's a, a bush on fire that was not being consumed, our response would be different. But under the word, the inspired word of God, as Paul commended the Thessalonians, when they received the word of God, they received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. And there's a standing, a reverence. There is a listening, attentively. Verse number three, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now the word attentive there is supplied in our authorized version, but it does give the sense. It literally says, and the ears were unto the book of the law. They were attentive. Their ears were given. They did so for quite some time. You look at the time scale here, you have several hours of giving yourself to the word of God. They do so consistently, they do so in verse number 13 on the second day. And in fact, in verse number 18, they do for seven days solid. This is a Bible conference. It's a time of consistent gathering to hear the word of God. I used to think I could judge attentiveness to the word. As a young preacher, I could think, well, he was listening today and she wasn't listening today. And you could, you could judge that. I don't think I can do that so well. I know one thing for certain. You can't be attentive and sleep at the same time. But yet there are many who have mastered the ability to keep their eyes opened, to look at the preacher, and yet not pay attention at all. I wonder how you can test attentiveness. Do you remember what church it is that Paul commended for receiving the word as the word of God two minutes ago? What was the church that Paul commended for receiving the word as the word of God? Oh dear. We allow the word to go through, but, but truth be told, we're hearing words, but we're not really giving our ear to the law of God. Many times the mind drifts off. But here we see the people of God and that they give themselves to an attentiveness to the word of God. They also, in the fourth verse, they, they understood. And there's a number of references. Verse number two, again, that is all who could hear with understanding. Verse number three, the same, uh, the same idea. And then later on, verse seven, cause the people to understand the law. Again, verse number eight, cause them to understand. Verse 13, again, you have the same thing, even to understand the words of the law. There was an intelligent appreciation for what was being said. Please turn over to, to 1 Corinthians 14. And the verse number 9. Paul, of course, here dealing with the subject of, of spiritual gifts. He's making the point that prophecy is beneficial. And again, at this time, there was still the gifts of prophecy and the speaking of tongues. 
Tongues, if they were used, had to be used in a very controlled and a careful fashion, and they had to be interpreted again for the understanding. But look what it says in verse number 9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the ear. And then verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, how being in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Nehemiah 8 reveals to us a time when the people of God respond with deep emotion. There is the weeping we read about in verse number 9. And there's also the joy. It's a time of great gladness, verse number 17. There is much in the way of emotion. But the response emotionally arises in relation to the understanding. That is what needs to be thundered across our churches today. We seek to bypass the understanding to get people to respond emotionally. And sadly it was true, going back to the evangelistic rallies of a Charles Finney and those who sought to follow him. The use of emotional music, the use of emotional testimonies, the use of, of all of these things to get people's hearts moved without their understanding being adequately addressed. Proper Christian joy comes from a proper understanding of the doctrines of the gospel. And it's as the understanding is filled that then our hearts are warmed. And when that emotion happens, it is not fleeting. It is genuine. It is real. And so we don't want to discourage the emotions, but we want our emotions to be properly dealt with. That as we understand truth, we then will respond with the, the, the appropriate emotions. And so the people, they gather, they stand, they listen, and in response to their listening, they understand. And then they respond appropriately. Verse number nine, all oh, the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now they're told that this day is not a day to mourn. But the verses are not suggesting there is no place for this remorse and sorrow for sin. Again, the wise man says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. The Lord does turn our mourning into dancing. He girds us with gladness, Psalm 30 verse 11. There is a time for this mourning. Now is not the time. God is bringing the word to the people. It's a time for joy. A great work has been done. And so the, the people, they hear the word. They feel conviction of sin. But they're encouraged. They're encouraged from the word to remember the mercies of God. That's all implied here. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is a holy day. This is not a day for fasting. It's a day for feasting. It's a day to mark God's goodness. God has blessed the people. The, the walls have been rebuilt. He's restored the people to their land. All of these things are marks of God's goodness. And so the people hear the word and they respond appropriately. And then they obey. Finally, they obey. Verse 13 and following gives us a description of how they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 16 gives instructions. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. 
They shall rejoice in thy feast. This was the time that they realized that. Verse number 14. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. They didn't say to themselves, we should wait till next year. They obey promptly. They obey thoroughly. They follow the right procedures. There's effort involved. Again, it's a mark of how people respond to the word. When they hear the word, they obey the word. There is something sadly missing. When by God's people will leave the house of God and say, wasn't that a tremendous meeting? Didn't we enjoy uh, that time around the word? And yet it has no impact on their lives. Nothing changes. They've enjoyed something, whatever it was. But they didn't actually meet with God. They didn't know the reality of having God's word in their ears, in their hearts, and then applied in their lives. There's always a thought of process here. When God truly comes and blesses, he actually comes and changes the people. They actually respond in obedience to the word. And what follows is great gladness. Verse 17, and there was very great gladness. Gladness comes when the word of God is preached with clarity and power. Believed by the hearers and obeyed by the grace of God. Again, just for the benefit of any who believe that the Christian life is a life of sorrow and drudgery. Here's another example in the word of God. When obedience to God's word leads to gladness. The devil, young people... The devil would tell you that to be a Christian is to commit yourself to a miserable life. That is the lie of the devil. The word of God shows us that true and lasting joy is found in obedience to the law of God and to the word of God. So believe God and flee from the devil's lies. And so this is a blessed time. And we long for such days. I must examine my heart. I must examine my responsibility as the pastor teacher here that I endeavor to be understood, to be clear, and to explain the sense. And again, there is responsibility upon your own hearts. And you come with reverence, with a desire to hear the word, to listen attentively, to seek to understand what is being said and then to respond in obedience to God's law. If we all take our responsibility seriously, we will know gladness in this place by the grace of God as the Spirit of God applies the Word. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.